morning. This morning uh, we're hitting we're hitting a, a good chunk of scripture in Revelation. Uh, we're taking the second part of verse five and we're moving all the way down through verse twenty. And what I want you to see this morning, uh, what I want you to taste this morning, is the reality that this passage we're looking at is a movement of worship. It, it is a passage that carries with it. Uh, this, this grand order of service that is absolutely astoundingly vital for us. Um, your study guide there that some of you may have received when you came in, and uh, some of you go and pull this off the blog, and some of you technology it, like right now, you're on your phone, you're looking at it. Um, you've got a definition there that, that I want you to see. It's a really good functional definition of worship. It's not the definition of worship, but it is a really good functional definition of worship. Uh, this definition comes from Dr. Bruce, Bruce Leafbrat. I can't, I can't talk. Dr. Bruce Leafblad, Southwestern Seminary. And uh, this guy's a, a beast of a professor. And uh, this is his definition. And I think it captures, no, I don't think, I know it captures the heart of Isaiah 6 beautifully. And this amazing movement of worship. And I want you to see it in this passage because it's going to help us be prepared this morning for our response. Um, here's your definition. Worship is communion with God. It is. It is. It is having fellowship with, it is having a common union with, it is, it is knowing, it is enjoying, it is communicating, speaking with, enjoying, being with, being filled by, bringing great glory to God. It is communion with God in which believers, believers by grace, worship is an activity that only believers can do. Worship services are unintelligible to pagans. They make no sense. Worship is not for unbelievers. It's for us. It's for us. And the gospel is what brings them into worship. Okay? Does that make sense? This isn't a seeker-sensitive service you walked into. It's a Jesus-sensitive service. This morning what has been put together is for Him, not for you. This is not a product for you to consume. Jesus is consuming this right now. You are the product. And He's the consumer. He sees right now. Whether you like it or not, it's irrelevant. Whether it's your style or not, it doesn't matter. What matters is King. This is good. Jesus, are you tasting this? This is all for you. It is communion with God in which believers by His grace. It's by grace because it's what we're made for. He didn't have to make a way for us to worship. It's by grace. It's a gift of His power to us in salvation. To bring people, to bring Him much glory. They center their mind's attention and their heart's affection on the Lord. It is a mental activity. It's a thinking activity. It's not where you disengage the mind. 
and bark like dogs or, or laugh like Brian Regan was up, were up here. And if he were, I would be laughing too. But it is a, is a, it's where we engage our mind. Deep thinking, good thinking, right thinking. But also our heart's affection. It, it is the engaging of the emotions. Emotions should follow truth. When the mind is engaged rightly on truth, then the affections of the heart follow suit. The mind's attention and our heart's affection, where? On the Lord, on Jesus, which His people humbly, we don't deserve it, so we don't come up and go, hey, Jesus, here I am. Woo, I'm good, right? This is, this is all for you because I brought something to you, Jesus, and I know you really like my gift today. No, a humble, God, I don't deserve this, but you've invited me to come and delight myself in you. So, Jesus, Jesus, please receive this. Humbly glorifying God in response. In response. Worship is a response we make. It's not an initiation we take. Worship is a response we make. It's not an initiation we take. This is why when people visit, it's a little weird at Three Rivers because the bulk of our, our, musical, our musical stuff is always in response to something we see. By the way, this isn't just like we threw this together because that would be cool. Just have a smoke machine behind them, some lights go down. No, this is on purpose. We want you to see and taste the gospel and the sacraments. And then respond in song. I want you to see and taste the grace of God and the gospel through the word. And then respond in song. Why? Because that's how it works. Man doesn't initiate worship. Man is running from God in his sin. He doesn't want the light of the gospel to shine on his darkness. So he runs. But God, being gracious, seeks us. And he comes and he takes us and he changes us. And brings us to himself and shows us how amazing he is. And it's, it's crazy what the human heart does when it sees the king. It wants to sing. It wants to live a life that matters because I've seen the king. That's why Isaiah, this whole movement in Isaiah, God shows himself. Isaiah responds. God reveals himself. Isaiah responds. This, we're going to see this here in Revelation. It is in response to the revelation of his glory and his majesty. His response we make because God shows Himself to us. And we see His glory. We see His greatness. We see how awesomely majestic He is. And, and it's the only thing that when I see that, that can do. It's all it can do. It's all it's got. So I've seen the King. And so my actions and my thoughts and my emotions center on you. Because you're it. The end all, the be all, the point. You're it. See, in Revelation, that's what these churches needed. It's what they had to have. John, in prison, he's secluded. He's sent out to the island because of the preaching of the gospel. We've got to get rid of this guy. I mean, we've got to punish these Christians. We've got to stamp this movement out. We've talked about for two weeks now, their greatest need was not rescue. Their, their greatest need was not more resources. Their greatest need is to see the king. 
on the hierarchy of needs. There is no hierarchy of needs apart from seeing Jesus. I don't need water. I don't need food. I don't need shelter. I don't need safety. I need Jesus. Jesus knowing man's needs because he made him in his image. Jesus comes and he shows himself to his people. That's their greatest need. John's greatest need was not to be taken from the Isle of Patmos so he could preach more. John needed to see the king as he is. That word thrown 37 times in this book. Depicting the reality that there is one king and he's Jesus. And he is sitting on his throne. He is ruling the nations. He is God. He alone is God. And he alone is worthy. Worship. So we start by talking about worship. Because that is our great end. That's it, y'all. We, we exist to worship Jesus. As much as we talk about the M word here. Missions. The preaching of the gospel. To the unreached people groups of the globe. It is not the chief aim. It is our chief mission. But our chief aim and the mission is worship. To quote Piper, missions exist because worship doesn't. There will be a day when the Great Commission is complete and it will cease. But worship will go on forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Jesus is not worshipped among all peoples. Therefore, we go to let them know of their great need to see the Savior, the King. And so it doesn't surprise me that at the beginning of the book called Apocalypsis, Revelation, the revealing of the King, Jesus, that it would start with an order of worship. Verse 5 and verse 6 begins... This service. Notice the second part of verse 5. And this is, this is point one. Okay. Point one in the worship service. Worshiping the king. Point one. The worship of Jesus. For his great salvation. I want you to notice this, this important little word in, in B. You know 5B. The second part of verse 5. There's the first part which is a continuation of a sentence begun in verse 4. Which is where we ended last week. And then there's a new sentence that starts in the middle of verse 5. It says, to him, to him. I don't know if there are two more important words that I will say to you this morning. To him, not to you, not to me, not to them, but to him. Who's him? Jesus. The one to whom the revelation has been given. So that he can show his people who he is in reality. Not the weakened son of God hanging on a cross laid in a tomb. But the resurrected ruling king of the universe. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. And made us a kingdom. Priest to his God and father. To him. <laughs> this is amazing. Listen, to him. Be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. In other words, this is for Him. Him revealing Himself to us so that we can bring Him glory is for Him. 
You and I were made to worship. And worship takes all kinds of forms. It takes the form, in Romans 12:1 of a life that's lived. And lives that are lived in honor of the King, birth, music, and song, acts of sacrifice, acts of service, risk. Today is a day that is marked on our calendars and, and particularly for churches to pay attention to National Right to Life Day. Some people today will worship by holding forth the rights of the unborn. They may not sing a song, but they will stand firmly and say that they are made in the image of God and they deserve to have a chance to live not because you have a right to convenience first. God's the author of life and death. You see, people will worship today by doing that. Many of us today will worship because we will have seen the King. He will have revealed Himself to our hearts and our minds. And we will sing to Him. This is to Him. This is for Him. This is all about Jesus. To Him. To Him. Notice this movement. Note the movement of worship in verse 5 through 6. It's the revelation of the grace of God and salvation in three movements. And then there's the response of those who Jesus is revealed to. Notice the first part of this movement. On your study guide, it's A. Jesus has redeemed us from slavery to sin. Jesus reveals himself in salvation. The reality for us today, if you're in Christ, if you're in Christ today, you used to be enslaved under the bondage of sin. Sin held you chained and shackled and all of your decision making, all of your faculties were held under the bondage of sin. But because of the gracious work of Christ on the cross, through his work of salvation, he has come to you and revealed himself to you and shown your eyes who he is and unshackled you and set you free through his work on the cross. And this passage, this movement begins by reminding us, revealing to us the salvation of God to take us who were enslaved to sin and set us free. Ephesians 2 says, You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you used to walk according to the prince of the power of the air. Every single one of us, if we're in Christ, we at one time were the slave property of Satan. Children of the evil one. And in God's rich and gracious mercy, He has come and set us free. The next piece of this is He's redeemed us through His blood, the sacrifice on the cross. He shows us and reminds us of the cross once again, where we see the justifying work of God, that God would punish the perfect Son of God for my sin. So that if I repent and believe the gospel... He would put on Jesus all of my guilt and give me all of Jesus' perfection. The ultimate unfair act in the universe. You can never say that God was unfair to you. He was unfair to His own Son. 
Jesus never sinned, but he was counted guilty of your sin and mine. So that God could then give me his perfection. That's unfair. He's never been unfair to us. He's unfair to Jesus. And he once again reminds us of the blood shed on the cross. But that's not all. He reveals to us this truth. That Jesus has also made us a kingdom. And priests. Do you. This isn't time to do a whole theology on the kingdom of God. But do you understand we the church we're a kingdom. We're a, we're a kingdom right now that sits inside the kingdoms of the earth. We, we are a kingdom. And we have a king and our king is Jesus. His word is our truth. It's our set of standards. It's our law. It's our righteousness. And there we see how to live and how to treat each other. We are a kingdom. He's made us a kingdom. And He's taking that kingdom and He's expanding it globally. But not only has He made us a kingdom, He's made us priests. This is, you have access to Him. You don't need me to go to Him. You have the Spirit of God dwelling in you too. The same spirit. You are a priest to God. You have access to the king of the universe. If we were a charismatic church, we'd be playing the organ right now. And like, and like you would be, like, people would be throwing hankies. You'd be jacked up right now. Because you're a priest. I mean, you get that? Do you understand that Jesus in his salvation work has made us priests? To the Father. And we look in what Jesus said in John where he said, There's coming a day where you will ask the Father. And I'm not going to say that I'm going to ask you because he loves you and you're going to talk to the Father. You're priest to God. And, and then look how it how it ends. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. There's a revelation of the grace of God. You're brought into communion with God. Believers by grace, think on the reality of what He's done. We feel with gratitude toward what He's done for us. And we humbly bring Him praise in response to this. Notice the movement. God reveals Himself in salvation. His work on the cross. Making us kingdoms and priests. We see, we savor that. Our response... To Him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Truly. Truly to Him forever be all glory. Truly to Him forever be all reign and rule. Truly. There's the foundation. It's the little word amen. It means truly. So be it. It's true. What's true? That all glory and dominion belongs to Jesus. He is the ultimate glorious one. He is the one who rules all things to you, Jesus. What you know to be reality and what is, we ascribe it to you. We are reminding you of what you already know and you've made known to us. You're king. You're king. You rule well. You're weighty. You're the first point of decision making for me. That's what glory means. It's weight. You have all the weight. You're the big cheese. You're the one by which all decisions are made. You have ultimate weight in me. I don't do anything without consulting you first because you're ultimate weight. 
to you be glory. And may your rule spread, Jesus. Jesus reveals himself and we, we worship. We worship. Notice once again, number two, God is going to bring himself great global glory. Notice how verse 7 starts. Behold. This is a good Bible word. And I don't know about you, but when I read the word behold, I, I almost do it in a British accent. I don't know why. Behold. What it means is, look. Look at what? God's revealing himself again. You see, Revelation you guys understand Revelation. If something is revealed, it means you now see it, right? You know the price is right, and and you, and and the doors are closed, and you're on stage. It used to be Bob Barker, but now it's Drew Carey, and 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 you're not sure what's behind the the deal, and you're hoping it's the car, not a wardrobe. You know, how many like never wants to win the furniture? All right. And, and then the doors open up and what happens? What is behind there is revealed. You now see what was once hidden. We see that little word behold. It's an invitation. Look, see, see what you didn't see. I want you to now see this. It's a very important word. It's God screaming, look right here. This is what you need to see right here. Look over here. Behold, look. So verse 7 starts, Behold, look! He's revealing Himself again. He's reminded us of His great salvation and invited us to come and bring Him glory. And then verse 7 starts the movement over. Look! Another revelation! Come see Him. Behold, He's coming with the clouds. And a few people will see Him. No! Every eye will see Him. Even those who pierced him. And all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, truly. Amen. Let it be. There's coming a day when, when Jesus reveals himself, it's not just going to be in a worship service to the church. Jesus' intention is to be worshipped among every tribe, tongue, nation, and language. Matthew 24, 30 says that when the nations see him, speaking particularly after Jesus has said that the gospel must be preached among all nations, and then the end comes. When the gospel has gone to all people groups, that he's coming, and then all of those people groups, not just those who've believed, but those who haven't believed, all of them are going to see him as he is. That chapter 19 picture of Jesus on the horse and the right ro white robe and the sword. And written on his thigh, King of kings and Lord of lords. And the only blood on the robe is not his. And he's conquering. That's why they're going to mourn. Because it's going to be, uh-oh. The Christians were right. What do we do? Now? Because the reason they're mourning is it's over. It's over. We, we don't know what it's like to have lived in a war-torn country in which we were invaded. And we saw conquering armies riding through our neighborhoods. We don't know that. I can only imagine what it would be like to be in your home and you hear the thunder 
of the ground shaking, and you look outside and there are tanks rolling through your neighborhood, and soldiers wearing the different color uniform, killing and maiming. And you realize, my life has just been removed from me. It will never be the same. That's a little bit of what the nations are going to feel when the king returns with his army. He's going to roll through. He's coming in. And he's coming to rule and reign the nations. And every eye will see him as king. They're going to mourn because they're going to recognize what we knew by his grace to be accurate and true. And they're going to recognize, "Uh uh-oh, Jesus really is king. It says, even those who pierced him, a reference to the Jewish nation, they're going to see him as king. This isn't time to get into the role of Israel in eschatology. But very simply to say this, that they're going to recognize Jesus as king. And then there's going to be the revelation of Jesus to all nations, the Gentiles. All of them will see, even those who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will wail or mourn on account of Jesus. In other words, God is bringing himself great global glory. He's going to be revealed and every eye will see him. Well, the question then becomes point three. What do they see? What do they see? This is... One of the reasons I love the book of Revelation is is because um, we get to see Jesus as he really is, not in his incarnate state. We have a tendency to view Jesus through the lens of Middle Ages paintings in which female models were used to paint him and his face, which is often why the structure of Jesus' face in paintings looks very feminine. We have a tendency to think of Jesus and a crucifix hanging on a cross in a weakened, bloodied state. And I've said this before and I want to say it again. He took a beating once. He came to die once. And we must be careful not to portray him as the dead king. Because he's not dead. Jesus is not a girl. And a weakling. Jesus is the conquering. Reigning. Ruling. Master. And king. Of the universe. And he is awesome. He is fear invoking. They're not mourning because they're seeing a girly dude riding up on a little horse going, Ow! The nations are mourning because the God of the universe, the ruling master, is coming and he invokes awe. What do they see? What is, what is this invitation to behold and see that all the nations are mourning over and the church is rejoicing in? We get to rejoice in this, by the way. That's our king. We get to stand behind him. It's like, see, I told you. Come on, get you some right here. There he is. I got, he's got my back. Or I, actually, I'm standing behind him, but you get you some of that. There he is. We're behind him. He's ours. We're his. That's good news, by the way. That's what we're bringing to or bring glory and dominion to. So what do we see? What's the invitation to behold? Verse 8 through 20 is, is a lot to behold. It's rich with content. And here it is, Jesus is the awesome resurrected king. He's the church's senior pastor. He's our chief shepherd. 
the awesome, resurrected king, our senior shepherd, our chief pastor. Look at, look at the image of Jesus painted here. You ready? Verse 8 through 11. Jesus is, the, is eternal. And he reveals himself to his people. Notice verse 8. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come. The Almighty. And what, what he's saying here in this passage is he takes the beginning and ending letters of the Greek alphabet, Alpha and Omega. And, and, and as Alpha starts the Greek alphabet and Omega ends the Greek alphabet, he's saying, I'm, I'm, I'm the beginning and the end. That's a nice way to say I'm everything, I'm it. It's another way to say I am. When Jesus said in John 8, before Abraham was, I am... He blew up any option of any other God. Which is why that chapter ends with saying they picked up stones to throw at him. They knew what he meant. Jesus is saying, I'm Yahweh. I'm that God. Which is why today in modern scholarship, the only thing you can do is attack the authority of Scripture because there's no denying what Jesus meant. So what you've got to do is try to tear down the veracity of Scripture because it's clear what he meant. I am. No options. It's not I am and these guys are sort of legit too. I'm it. There is no other. The Alpha and the Omega. He reveals himself as the eternal king and he reveals himself to his people. He says, I am the Almighty. It's a title used of the Lord in the Old Testament. The Almighty. What Jesus is saying here. Because he's the beginning and the goal of all human history. He's the beginning and goal of all human history. And can you see why these churches persecuted need to see this? See, we have this isolated, insulated life. We live in Disneyland. We turn on the water and it runs as if there's an infinite supply in this little faucet. And we don't stop to think that there's There's more outside my little world. We get insulated. We get isolated. And life gets comfortable. And life becomes about us and more comforts. And can't imagine not actually having, having, you know, several, several, you know, um, technological pieces to communicate with. Or, you know, God forbid, I, you know, I mean, Facebook, I'm cut off from the world, man. I mean... Jeez, we have trouble imagining, jeez, not only, I don't have a laptop, man. Um, or, I, gosh, man, I, my phone went down today. I have to go back to a, you know, a God forbid, an analog or something. You know, jeez, never forget the dialing days. I mean, we're just so insulated and isolated. And, and, and when that happens, life just sort of gets caught up and we are the end all, the be all, and we are the pursuit of ourselves and as much as we can get for ourselves. And what ends up happening is our world becomes our idol. We worship us. And what Jesus is saying here is I'm the beginning and end and goal of all history. I, I, I'm it. I'm the point. But in verse 9 through 11, Jesus speaks and he reveals himself to his, serpent, as his, to his servants as they are worshiping in the Spirit. And I think this is vital for us to see. In verse 9 through 11, Jesus begins to speak to his people. And he reveals himself to his servants as they are worshiping in the Spirit. John says, during the middle of this tribulation, I've been put in exile on this island. And I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. 
was in the spirit on the Lord's day. And I heard the voice behind me, like a trumpet saying, Write what you see in a book and send it to these seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Jesus speaks to and reveals himself to his servants as they worship in the Spirit. Remember in Acts 13? Church at Antioch? Where did the missionary fervor come from? Because these guys had a great vision of the nations and, and they had a superior strategy. So they decided to implement it. Is that, is that what happened? No. As they ministered to the Lord... And fasted. The Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul to the work that I've called them to. There's some of you sitting in this room, and you're you're taking a very dangerous course right now. The reason it's dangerous is because you're coming and you're worshiping, and you're putting yourself in a position to hear. The Spirit speak clearly. I've set you apart to go. Some of you sitting in this room, this this is sort of the this is what happens here at this little church. Logan and April are here today. And there's some of the fruit of this. When we come to worship and we center our minds, attention, and our hearts' affection on the Lord, those are the moments when we get to hear corporately the corporate mission be whispered to us. Go. 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 Jesus speaks and He reveals Himself to His servants as they worship in the Spirit. Could it be that for some of us, the reason we're directionless is because we're worshipless? I don't know what to do in my life. Are you worshiping? Are you listening to spirit? Do you even even know how to hear the voice of God? He speaks, people. You see... It's impossible to hear the voice of the Lord when all we have is noise and interference. I'm, dude, I'm iPod boy. I'm there. I've got my iPhone. And I've got my buds. And I listen. But it is absolutely essential that we learn to unplug and listen. Because He speaks. We don't, we don't need another session. We need to hear the King. And He's talking to us. We come to worship those thoughts that that ring almost between a thought and being audible. Listen to that. That's the Lord moving and guiding. And often it scares us. I don't want to do that. It'll cost me something. And so we attribute it to the pizza I ate last night. Or the bad breakfast. Or the bojangles I just ate. No, no. But it's not that. No. Listen. When we worship, He speaks and, and this awesome resurrected king, our chief shepherd, is always revealing himself to his people. Jesus hasn't stopped making the truth of what is written in Scripture known to his people clearly. He says, behold, look, look at this. You need, this is life for you. That's not life. This is, look at me. There is life. 
So Jesus, the awesome resurrected king, the senior pastor, Jesus, the chief shepherd, speaking to his people. Do you hear him? And I don't mean to sound crazy or whacked out. I'm not crazy, I promise. But, but do you hear him? Do you hear the mission? Do you hear the call going off in you? Do you hear the beckoning voice saying, come and make much of me, for which you are created? Listen. He speaks to his people. Jesus, the awesome resurrected king, the church's senior pastor. Jesus is the resurrected priest king. Look at verse 12 through 16. John said, then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. In the midst of the lampstands was one like the Son of Man, clothed with a long robe with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. You have an imagination? Anybody got an imagination? I know with video game culture that I'm very much a part of, sometimes imagination like is dead. It's like, I don't know. I don't know. Just try to let your imagination come alive. Try to see this, okay? You hear me? Try to see this, okay? His hair is white like wool, like snow. His eyes were a flame of fire. His feet are like burnished bronze. It's really shiny bronze. Refined in a furnace, pure. And his voice is like the roar of many waters. Anybody rafted the Okoe? That's his voice. When you go to the Okoe, anybody rafted it? Do you hear the water? Yeah, you hear the water. Is Jesus silent? Can he be heard? Oh, no, he's not silent and he can be heard. His voice is like the roar of many waters. It's mighty. It's awesome. It's thunderous. In his right hand, he held seven stars. And from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in full strength. When I saw him, I felt his feet as though dead. I probably would too. I'm like, okay, I, that, that's, that's crazy. And I'm falling down. But he laid his right hand on me saying, fear not. I am. I'm the first and the last. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. See, is it rapid trail? He is to be feared, but he is to be approached. There's this tension approaching Jesus in which you are awesome. And that scares me. But he says, come. Come. So that, that tension's okay. Don't solve it. It's okay. It's supposed to be that way. Okay? He's not Mr. Rogers. He's a conquering king. But one who loves you and says, come, it's okay. So live with that tension. Fear not, I'm the first and the last. I'm the living one. I died and behold, I'm alive forever. And I have the keys of death and Hades. So write what you've seen. Those that are and those that are about to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Jesus wearing the garment of a priest king, which means he's, High priest and he's king. This picture that is portrayed here of Jesus, number one, is this this one having this white hair like wool like snow, is one 
pictured in Daniel 7, 1 to 14, as the Ancient of Days, the Son of Man who receives universal dominion from the Ancient of Days. Jesus is speaking from what he's already inspired in Daniel as this one who is to come and receive this eternal dominion from the Ancient of Days, God the Father. He's dressed like a priest king because he is our high priest and he is our king. And he has made us his priests and he's given us a kingdom. His white hair speaks of his eternal reign. Daniel 7, 9. Just go read that passage, Daniel 7. And this, this, this imagery of him having this white hair speaks of his eternality. This is Daniel. This is what it is. In other words, he doesn't have a beginning or end. He's God. His eyes see all and they judge what they see. That's his eyes that are a flame of fire. Daniel 10, 6. Hebrews 4, 12. Revelation 19, 12. Jesus' eyes see all things. He's the eternal God who's omniscient and knows all things. By the way, He knows you well today. There is nothing hidden from His sight. Your needs, He knows. Before you know you need it, He knows you need it. He knew you needed it before you were even born. He sees all things. But He also judges all things rightly and well. And His judgment is just and perfect. And when that comes to us as His people, His judgment never falls on us because of the work of the cross. But He judges those in anger and wrath who would come against His people. They're going to get theirs. That's why He says, you don't have to take vengeance. I'm coming on the horse with my sword. I'll take care of that in time. You bless them. I'll mete out vengeance. He's bad, by the way. His voice is mighty and it's heard with an overpowering roar. He holds the hosts of heaven in His hand. The angels, the hosts of heaven, serve Him well. Hebrews 1.14 said, Are these hosts not ministering spirits sent to serve on behalf of those who are to inherit eternal life? He rules the angelic hosts of heaven. And then finally, He is the one who, or next to finally, He is the one who comforts. He's been raised from the dead. He owns death and hell, so we don't have to fear anymore. There's comfort there. Listen, guys, we don't have to fear dying. We don't have to fear going. Why? Death is the beginning of forever for us. Without any hindrance to sin. We don't have to fear. He's given us comfort. He owns death and He owns hell. And then finally, He stands among the lampstands. And lampstands, what did He say? They're the churches. You know the coolest picture for me here is that Jesus stands smack dab squarely in the middle of His people. The image here, and this is the image Peter picks up on, is that Jesus is the chief shepherd. He's the chief shepherd. Which means all pastoral ministry is underneath the chief. The reality is, Jesus shepherds His people well. Jesus stands among His churches. He rules them and He rules the mission well. You know what? If any of your elders bite it today, you're not shepherdless. You're not. There are no senior pastors in the flesh here and in the other body for that matter. Senior pastor is the resurrected king who rules well. And we're just his underlings. Trying to do his thing his way. And you know the cool thing is? 
He is speaking to you and giving you direction. He's worthy of our worship. Behold, take a look. See Him. See what He's done. And give Him glory and dominion. He is our comfort. He is our shield. He is our hope. He is our ever-present help in a time of need. There is nothing hidden from His sight. He rules all things well. And this is the King of the churches in Revelation. And He's King of our church. Are you listening? Do you want to respond to Him? I do. We've seen the King. He's made Himself clear. And my invitation to you is come and bring glory and ascribe dominion to Him. And then that would truly be worship. Jesus, um, You are almost beyond uh, description. And I guess all we can do is use what is written to describe you in your word. And, and we can't add to that. We can't take from that. It's just what you've given us. And so it's hard to find words to bring to you. Uh, so, King resurrected master and Lord who sits on the throne. Glory to you. Weight to you. Dominion to you globally. You rule us and you are our first thought and option and point. And in any way at which you are not our chief option and in any way we seek somehow to not allow you to rule us well. We ask that in your grace you would move us out of the way and bring us in your train. Bring us in your wake so that we can make much of you and find our life's fulfillment in bringing you much praise. So Father, I want to ask right now over your people that you would shepherd them well in this moment. That you would bring from their hearts praise. And as we come to worship you in song, would you be greatly glorified? And would you encourage and build up our hearts as we seek to do the mission?